Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm your host, Cade Webb, alongside Dustin Ragusa, as always. And man, I think it's time to tell your kids about a top 10, 6-0 Oklahoma State football team. For the 10th time in 16 seasons, Mike Gundy's football team has reached the top 10. Uh, and what a game that was in Stillwater. And we got a great show for you. Dustin, how are you, man? Doing great. Nothing <laughs> like a no, nothing like a big Austin to just really get the week going. So yeah, um, if you I'm we don't have time. video, we don't have video yet. But uh, Dustin is grinning ear to ear. Uh, his his beard hairs are shining. He's just like he's glowing, and I wish you all could see it because this man has seen great things. And uh, what a weekend it was in still or in in Austin. Um, and really just sets Oklahoma State up in an unbelievable way going forward, um, especially going into this weekend's game in Ames. But we won't talk too much about that today. We're really going to dive in, back into what happened in Austin and really break it down for you. That's really what this show's about. We're going to show you and tell you what we saw and tell you how right we may have been and how wrong we may have been on some other things. But Dustin, as I told you, um, this, was, this was a slugfest. This was um, a four-quarter game, just as Mike Gundy uh, said he would prefer it to be. And, you know, if we go back to the podcast last week, we said we weren't going to toot our horns, and two minutes in, we are. Did that game go the way oh, you man. saw it going? Not, not really at first. On, I guess, Oklahoma State's offensive side of the ball, it did, because I knew we were just going to keep with the zone scheme. And just keep running it until it worked. And we made some adjustments that you and I will talk about later in the second half. But that part, that part was what I thought. Now, what Texas did, I did not think they were going to get up on us. I didn't see us having an 85-yard pick six, some of those <laughs> things. But look, I can't call everything, you know. Yeah, I'm just here right. giving my takes. And most of them are right. Yeah. yeah well, that's what we're here for, right? Marks. Yeah, this is a this is a five star podcast for a reason. You come here for the accuracy and the takes. Um, but no, this was, I mean, again, we, we talked a lot about it last week. How this was going to be a physical football game. You know, Oklahoma State. You know, just starting off the game, you you said you didn't expect Oklahoma State to get down seventeen to three. Neither did I, and I sure as heck didn't expect them to win with that. You know, in place, especially as it's seventeen to three. Casey Thompson's got the ball inside the Oklahoma State 40, I think even inside the Oklahoma State 30. And I mean, they're threatening to put this game away. And all of a sudden, the entire thing flips on its head in an instant. And really, that was all that Oklahoma State needed. And Mike Gundy, if you listen to his radio show on Monday nights, he said the same thing. They needed a spark. He was preparing to go in and, and talk to a solemn team who had gotten their tails whooped for 20 minutes, 20, 24 minutes. And, um, he didn't have to because Jason Taylor, um, the human playmaker, as Dave Hunziker put it, put an absolute jolt into the football team and really may have jolted. You know, if you if you ask me, he might have ended up jolting the second half of the season um, because that win can't be overstated. Mike Gundy called it a culture builder. I could not agree more that it's a culture builder. If you saw the sideline erupt after the you know final whistle blew. That's one that can carry a team, and they're going to need that as they go into Ames. But, you know, more specifically, Dustin, we talked quite a bit, you know, again, about how physical this game was going to be. What about, you know, 
the film, as you went back and watched, what are some things that you saw coming and what are some things that you didn't see coming? And we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. If, if you're cool with that, let's start yeah. there. Um, because I think we started defense last week. We'll talk offense. What did you see on that side of the ball? The first thing that stood out to me, you and I talked about last week, how Texas likes to go too high safety. They like to drop into their quarters. Look, I thought they were going to keep doing that. I know I, I can't remember what you had said, but I think we both thought they were going to probably keep doing that because why revamp your entire defense for one game, one week? Right. Uh, you got a completely new coaching staff and everything. Maybe you haven't been practicing as much, but they decided to go single high a lot. And they went with this three, four look, which is three down linemen, four linebackers. Normally they would switch in their nickel back when they want to go in that quarters look, but they kept their Sam linebacker out there and they just tried to stuff Oklahoma state and not let them get anything going with outside zone outside. And it really caught Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy off guard. You could tell that they seemed a little shocked. Texas was stunning, which is when a defensive lineman or a linebacker, they kind of, fake like they're going to go through their normal gap and then twist around each other and come at the quarterback. Our offensive line was struggling with it. Spencer Sanders got some pressure early. And when he gets pressured early, you can tell it rattles him and it mm -hmm. takes him a little while to get his confidence back. And I love Spencer. I know me and you are going to go into it later because yeah. we're Spencer truthers on this podcast and <laughs> come at us, seriously, come at us, come at me in the streets, but actually don't do that. I don't want to fuck. But so we need you for the pod. Yeah. So, but his, his footwork gets off and it gets a little erratic and that's what Texas did. And that's what Texas's defensive scheme was early on. Oklahoma state stuck, stuck with their guns, kept running outside zone, threw out some new formations I'll put on Twitter. And that's what they tried to do, but it just was not working. They finally wore Texas down in the second half. You can see in the fourth quarter, Mike Gundy touched on it in his press conference. He also talked about it on his uh, Mike Gundy radio show podcast. They started running things into the boundary. And I'll talk about this on some Twitter videos as well. But basically what they were doing there is Texas was setting that Sam linebacker to the field. So they have more defenders to the field because that's the strong, that normally the strong side of the formation. Well, OSU was getting a numbers advantage by running back into the boundary and then Jalen Warren just cutting back off that zone blocking, picking up six, seven, eight yards Whew. before anybody can get to him. And that's the big thing that happened. That's what led to the, what, 145 rushing yards in the fourth quarter. But that was kind of my big takeaway, that Texas came out and showed they were going to play a different defensive scheme. And it took us a while, but we were eventually able to wear them down with the run game. So, so when you say that, does that mean they went away from the outside zone, or does that mean they found success still sticking with it as they, you know, started running more into the boundary, maybe go into that a little bit. Yeah. So they stuck with it. So basically what would happen there is the flow of the line on outside zone, you know, they're reaching, they're stretching, they're trying to, but that's the difference between inside and outside zone on inside. Right. You're trying to get a vertical push running backs kind of looking off the, you know, kind of the tap, the guard tackle area outside zone, you're stretching out your reach blocking running backs trying to look at something off the tight end, maybe get to the outside or look for the cutback back to the middle. And what they're doing there is instead of moving everybody to the wide side of the field, which is what you would think you have more space out that way, they're actually coming back into the boundary, into the short side of the field where Texas, especially when they went back to their two safety look, you know, they, they don't have as many defenders on that short side of the field because they're preparing for Oklahoma State's two twin receiver set out to the field side. 
So more receivers out that way. And Oklahoma State, the offensive line and Jalen are just coming back into the boundary. He's getting a cutback. Hats on hats. Not enough Texas defenders over there. And he's busting some big games. Man. But when you break it down that way, it, it gives me, you know, even more confidence in the ability of this football team to go into a fourth quarter game and come out with a win. You know, my my big note that I had this week was was to eat a little bit of crow uh, because on, on Twitter I had said something along the lines of this Oklahoma State offense. And, and even what you're saying, Dustin, is not, you know, running into the boundary, finding success there is not necessarily reinventing what they were doing, but they found an area of success and keyed on it. What I was frustrated with and just confess this to you prior to the podcast in that second and third quarter, there was really what appeared to be a lack of imagination. And, and that's what I said. And however, what it appears to me now, you know, it's easy to say this with orange colored glasses after a win, <laughs> but it, it clearly appears to me now I mean, and, and Mike Gundy said this as much. And so I should be, I should be more ashamed that I didn't even key on this during the game because, you know, they said they wanted this to be a fourth quarter heavyweight title match. They don't want to get into a shootout. And so you see the offense, you know, kind of slog down in the second and third quarters. Like it has a lot this season, um, especially in the third quarter, the second and third quarter, not so much, but this week it really bogged down. And, you know, part of that I had chalked up to a lack of imagination, but you could easily make a case. And this is what I think after having gone back and watched the film, they just believed that they could run the ball until Texas broke eventually. And that's exactly what happened, whether they found it because of the uh, the ability to run uh, outside zone or inside zone back into the boundary or whether it was a, you know, a physical advantage out of conditioning, whatever that looks like. They found something there and stuck with the game plan. So I was beyond impressed with this, you know, almost like light bulb turning on with the offense. Clearly something worked, but I think you could equally make a case that, you know, they just started pushing Texas around. They wore them down, you know, with Jalen Warren's 33 carries, Spencer had over 10. Um, I mean, it was, it was a physical game. And I think that may have been a big part of it as well. Yeah. And I agree with you. And, and I liked, what Texas was trying to do when they were going single high, they were sending some extra help to whatever side Tay Martin was on. And you see, I know he had the couple of drops, but either way, he didn't really have that big of a day, six catches for 48 yards. Yep. They did t Spencer did target him quite a few times, but Texas had a game plan that I liked and we just wore them down. And that is something like you just said, that makes me, you know, feel some positiveness about this offense yeah. going into the rest of the season because we're able to do that. They're able to stick to their guns, get their offensive line going and just wear this defensive line out without really making, I know we talked about it setting and Gundy brought it up, setting the formation into the boundary, which if you haven't listened to Mike Gundy's pressers or his podcast or anything this year, he's actually been talking quite a bit of X's and O's or at least a little They're nugget here and there, which way is way more enlightening. Awesome. Yeah, he's always he's always fun to listen to, but he's actually oh, yeah. talking some scheme, which is pretty cool uh, without giving too much away, obviously. But the fact that we're able to do that is is awesome. And I know it's not fun to watch. You just mentioned it a little bit ago. We're really doing the same thing over and over, but it's working. It wears teams down and we're winning these games. And you can say relying on the defense because the defense is so good. But really, the offense just has a plan. They stick to it, and they're good at executing it. 
it sometimes takes a little while to get going, but it hasn't, it hasn't been that big of an issue yet because they've been able to find a way to win these games. Well, and they find a way, but it's almost like even OSU gets up by one point, 25, 24, you know, they take that late lead with the field goal. There's still 10 minutes left in the game, but you fully, if you're me, I mean, I, I fully expected Oklahoma state to win the game at that moment. It was like the moment they took that lead, you know, you can lean on the defense. And so back to your point, that gives me a ton of confidence going forward. You know, there are not very many more physical football teams than Texas. You know, we, we can bash them. We can say Texas isn't back quite yet, but they're still a physical football team. They're still extremely talented. Uh, Mike Gundy said they're probably the most talented team in the conference, but Oklahoma state is still able to wear them down with their physicality, especially up front. I mean, they got some dudes up there now and uh, they're really starting to find their stride. And it really makes this upcoming matchup with Iowa State interesting as they kind of run that three down uh, defensive front with the four linebackers. And I'll be really interested to see how they're able to run the ball on that front because it's one of the best in the Big 12 um, statistically. But there's part of me that believes it might be a mismatch, especially when you factor in Spencer Sanders' ability to run the football. But we're not going to get too much into that. Well, um, that that's actually a great segue into – I thought he did a great job late in the game of hitting some big runs. Yeah, absolutely. Sanders. And the fact that he can add that into his game, into the game, is just such a plus. And, and if you want I, – I don't know where we were going with that part of the convo, but if you want to get on Sanders now, obviously – No, I, I think, I think now is the time. Him. I think let's jump right into it. Yeah, so I thought, I thought he showed – he has his strengths – he can hit throws on the outside, yep. which he did. He had the interception to the outside, but he can hit those throws. He does well with play action, and then he's a plus in the run game. He didn't hit on anything deep in this game. I don't think, looking at PFF, it doesn't look like he connected on a throw 20-plus yards on the field. I can't remember one. But three for five over the middle. It's um, crazy. <laughs> one, yeah, I mean, he's, he's six for nine uh, on the outside the right hash, and – three for six outside the left hash uh, underneath 20 yards. So he, those are his throws and he's good enough. And his arm is strong enough to hit those opposite field out route throws too, which are big time NFL throws. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, maybe you want to open it up some more. I, I think maybe we should take some more deep shots every now and then, or have some, especially when the run game gets going, but it seems like Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy know what Spencer's good at and they want him to do that, especially when, like I said, when he gets rattled at the beginning of the game, I feel like they get a little nervous, which I'm not saying is correct for them because Spencer's tenured enough now, but it looks like those are the routes that they want him to hit on. And that's kind of what they go to. And he's able to execute those. Well, I mean, I had to write that down. No passes beyond 20 yards in this game. You know, we, we can talk all day about the shift in identity and, you know, that that's obvious at this point, Oklahoma state's winning games in a completely different manner than they're used to. Then I'm used to as a fan than I think you're probably used to Dustin, uh, but it's fun to watch. And, and, you know, back to Spencer's performance specifically, Gundy said this, and it's what I was thinking, you know, you factor in the two drops um, you've probably got 80 yards extra on Spencer's stat line with two extra touchdowns that, in itself, you know, puts him at 260 passing yards, three touchdowns and a pick. I think we're having a much different conversation. You and I are still going to have the conversation because we believe we saw that. 
but nobody else is having that conversation that this was one of Spencer's cleanest games, even the interception that was thrown. You know, there's an argument to be had on why that occurred, but specifically with this, Spencer played a clean game, didn't really turn the ball. I mean, didn't turn the ball over, didn't fumble it and looked like he was in control the entire time and didn't force it. And that is all you can ask. And that right there is a big step in development. If he can continue to do that, you know, we've seen this time and time again, that he'll take that step and then he'll take two steps back. But now is about the time you would expect to see a consistent pattern with him. And right now I, I believe that he's taking that step. It'll be really interesting to see what he does in Ames, as you mentioned to me today, against what Iowa State runs on their, you know, defensive disguises and things like that. But for now, you couldn't have asked much more from Spencer. Uh, your receiver's got to catch the ball at some point. Yeah, and that's the thing. So PFF has it at three drops. They also have him getting blitzed on 13 of his attempts, which Texas was trying to get after him early. And I know I went and looked at the Iowa State game last year on PFF. They did not bring much pressure at Spencer. They don't They don't really. They have their blitz scheme, and we'll get yeah. into that. But they did. I think PFF only had them blitzing Spencer three times. And I think they're going to bring more this time after seeing how it kind of rattled them early. But, but to your point, yeah, I, I think so as well. I, I don't think he had a bad game. He's got to keep improving the footwork. And, and what I mean by that is when he does get pressured, he gets baby giraffe legs back there and he's all over the place looking like he's on ice skates, not even throwing off the back foot sometimes, just sometimes almost looks like he's throwing off and, no feet. I have no idea what he's doing. It's, it's, sometimes. it's so true. And it doesn't take a, you know, an expert to, to notice that because what, what you see with, with Spencer at times is this like falling away and the shoulder drops almost to his hip and it comes out way wonky. That's one thing that you just gotta hope gets cleaned up at some point, but yeah. It, and it all starts at that footwork, but it's, it's pretty glaringly obvious. And even the interception that was thrown, you know, there is a discussion on what actually happened there, but you could see it coming in his footwork. There were a, a couple of throws right before those that were also erratic. And it was, it was really in his mechanics. It's like, this doesn't look right. And then he throws a pick. So, man, so th that play, they actually ran the same play twice in a row. Same play. It's yeah. Right. Spencer dropping back, looking for Owens. The Texas cornerback is bailing off into like a zone coverage look. So they're looking for either that curl, hitch, comeback, something back towards the quarterback when he has some space. Spencer can hit him over there for six, seven, eight yard gain, depending on where he runs the route to. The first time Spencer throws it, Owens takes a step inside. Spencer throws out. They come back to it again. This time, Owen steps outside and Spencer threw back in. I, I had, I, I talked to several people about it. Um, I talked to Tate Doesn't Lies, Adam, Adam Lunt, and no one really knows. It looks to me like that's miscommunication between them, which still needs to be some on Sanders because he's the more experienced player there. Yep. Owens is, a, you know, he was an athlete coming out of high school, actually ran the ball a lot. I know he works on the jug machine a lot at practice because he didn't have a ton of reps in high school at receiver. And I think you got to put that on both of them there, though. I don't know if that can be 100% on Spencer because I don't even know what route Owens is running on that second one because 
he almost did like a 360 and stepped one way and then kind of jerk, jerk routed back out the other. Looked like maybe he should have driven into the defender a little bit more to kind of create a little bit more separation. That was weird. Not to spend too much time on that, but if you're going all in on Spencer for that one, I think you got to watch the play before and let me know exactly what happened there because I couldn't figure it out, but it yeah. looked like straight up miscommunication between those guys, which Spencer needs to do a better job of communicating to his young receiver there. He's the more experienced guy, but I don't know. That one's a 50, 50 to me. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit concerning when you factor in, you know, Jaden Bray's out and that's, that's the position he'd be playing. And so you wonder because you think back a little bit and, and not to pick on, you know, one player in particular, but you think back about the pick that was, you know, off Rashad Owens face mask in the Baylor game. You think about the drop on the exact same route uh, in this game. And then you think about, you know, the, the potential for, you know, a miscommunication there. It's interesting. And you hope that these are valuable reps for a kid. And, um, you know, he's shown great flashes. I think he's going to be a great Super receiver, athlete. no doubt. Crazy field star in high school. He's he he's gives awesome. me Justin Blackman vibes. He has long arms. He's really fast. Um, very intriguing prospect, but you got to figure out, you know, some of, some of those drops, but regardless of that, again, Oklahoma state in general plays an extremely clean game had to zero margin for error, uh, especially going on the road in front of 105,000. And I think the O-line, as the game went on, they were able to kind of pick up on some of the stunts and uh, different level blitzes that Texas was bringing. And I didn't think they played terrible. And later on in the game, when the run game got going and they're running behind Josh Sills, I mean, just run behind him every play. You don't even need to cut back, Jalen. Just follow that big man because he well, dominates people. Him him, and just God destroys Lesky, people. They did it to Boise State. Uh, they did it a little bit to Baylor, too. Those two, and when Hunter Woodard is on, that interior of the offensive line is as good as it gets. I mean, they, oh, they, they run can absolutely push, push dudes around. Yeah, and I did want to note, too, I don't know if you noticed this. There was some switching at right tackle, Jake Springfield and Preston Wilson. I, heard I was a little told bit from someone I was asking that that was actually planned. Um, I don't think Springfield was hurt. So if anybody was concerned about Springfield being hurt, I know – some people may not be concerned because he's had kind of a rough year, but I, it wasn't anything about that. From what I've told, they, they were planning to kind of rotate at right tackle a little bit, but both of those guys, they've got good feet. You can tell they've got it, but they're just sometimes get a little bit pushed around. So I, a little bit of a struggle at times at right tackle, but like you said, the interior of the offensive line from guard to guard solid in the run game. Yeah, no doubt about it. You'll you wonder, you know, if that tackle spot shores up, you know, the pass blocking for the most part this year has been adequate, hasn't been anything special, but you just wonder if you give Spencer one more second to, to make some decisions when, you know, he's, he's not an elite quarterback, not an elite decision maker, what the extra split second could do for him. Um, yeah, I just, I get really excited thinking about where this season is going. We've already seen so much growth from this team from week four to now. I mean, from week one, we were talking about, you know, well, you and I were talking about it under the bleachers at Boone Pickens Stadium, not on this podcast, <laughs> but we're talking about, I mean, this is, this is a serious problem. Like this team's going to go four and uh, four and eight. I don't, <laughs> that, that feels like a long time ago because yeah, right those now, guys are idiots. The, our, whoever our those self. guys were, were clearly overserved. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. So Whatever has changed, and you know, we've we've discussed quite a bit of it on the offensive side, but 
a lot of it looks like that success on the inside of the offensive line, being able to almost guarantee success there and then move the ball around on the outside. You know, smarter people can dissect that, but that's what it looks like to me. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that translates as we go forward. Yeah, no, I agree. And you saw him mix in some new things. Uh, yeah. We've seen the option now two weeks in a row. We saw that option reverse coming back the other way with Presley. We saw my boy okay. Presley try to throw a pass, which Gundy said he's completed every one of those in practice and he's ran it like 50 times. That, that was a terrible throw. What but a time. I, I want to talk about that stretch though, because that's when it really felt like this game was about to get crazy. You know, the first down, you run the um, – oh, God, what was the, the trick play they ran on that down? They, uh, You may remember it. I, I'm drawing a blank. They ran two trick plays back-to-back. The first yeah, one they was, ran the, that was the double reverse. reverse. Yeah, speed option yeah. reverse coming back. And Thank then the you. throwback to Spencer. And then the throwback. I mean – Yeah, I was to, like, what is going on? Did, to run did my guy two? Casey Dunn take some Adderall or something? He's he's wired right now. He's loose. I, I, I think Casey channeled his inner Dana right there, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, a couple of Red Bulls. Yeah, so, something happened. Maybe, you know, I think a couple of years ago, somebody got stuck in an elevator in Austin. I don't, I don't know if it was Austin. <laughs> it was somewhere. I'm wondering yeah. if that may have taken place. Um, but regardless, it was stunning to see that shift from what the offense looked like for the first three quarters, three and a half quarters, to two just, you know, put it out there on the table type of trick plays. I mean, it was it that was when I was like, this game is a W. They're going to win this game. They're pushing them around. And, yeah, Brendan Presley, not the best throw in the world, but you'll live with <laughs> he, it. He had some solid plays, though. I, I love watching him when he gets the ball. He's uh, – uh, I'd like to get him – Hey, a little, game a a little credit more. to you too on, on Brennan last week, you, you nailed it. They were trying their damnedest to get him on the bubble screen and others. You nailed that. You said that was one way that they were going to attack that, you know, three quarter look on, on the Texas defense. And that's exactly what they did for that. You know, I think that's a quarters. key in Iowa state as well, which we'll talk about later, but they did that to Iowa state a lot in the past. So I think we'll see the wide receiver. I, I was thinking again. the same thing. You, you think back to, you know, two years ago in Ames, uh, two of the biggest plays of that game, Tylen Wallace, 80 yards. That's on a screen. Braden Johnson, 55 yards. That's on a screen. I think they do it again. I'll be interested to see that. And I love when they, throw. <laughs> I don't understand why they do this because they throw it to Tay with Presley as the lead blocker. You would think they'd want to put one of them on the other side, just because, the defense is like, hey, your best receiver and your most dynamic player on the same side. But my guy Presley's just pancaking people. <laughs> He's the lead Multiple blocker. times. Multiple I, times. It's so funny to watch. I had to rewatch that play like a hundred times. He's well, a beast. I love him. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. So use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol is offering a very special giveaway to the 1012 Network and our podcast, Feels Like 45. Symbol is going to hold a drawing to give away two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice, and all you've got to do is sign up for Symbol and make a $25 deposit using promo code FEELS12 and you will be entered into a chance to win two tickets to your favorite team's game this season. 
Visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, you better make sure to use that promo code FEELS12 and for a chance to win two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice. Visit www.symbol.com, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com, and use the promo code FEELS12 and start investing in your favorite teams. Well, let's let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, really, the this the story of this game is the Oklahoma State defense. We we spent a lot of time, you know, talking about the defense last week and and how it's gotten Oklahoma State to this point. Um, I do believe that this game was a little bit more balanced in terms of offense contributing and defense contributing. Probably the most balanced performance we've seen this season. But the defense at Oklahoma State. I mean, what what more can you say about it? I mean, you can you can throw out all the superlatives, best in the conference. It's it's elite, the best one in Mike Gundy's 16 years. But it is an absolute joy and a total like confidence builder. Again, when you go up one point and you say, I don't think Texas is scoring again. I mean, I've never felt that as an Oklahoma State fan. I don't know about you. Now, I was talking to some friends about it. Jim Knowles, I love him. He he's my Let's favorite. Get him on the pod. I think, I think he's my favorite football coach in history, and I I love Sean. I love Sean Payton with my Saints, but I don't know if I can pick anybody that I like more than Jim Knowles, especially after hearing Colby Harvell Peel and uh, Jarek Menard Converse talking about him on Fantastic. the Orange Power podcast. Those guys love him, and the stuff they yeah. were saying about him was hilarious. But just watching him, the cigar, the suits, which he, he's always looking sharp in those suits. I need to ask him no if he's getting those. But he, he's just a man. And some of the stuff he was doing, you've seen it. It's all over Twitter right now, but what he was doing on third down, going straight up cover zero, which what that means is no safety help over the top. Everybody's manned up, and anyone who's not manned up is probably coming after the quarterback. He's showing that, and I'll put some of these on Twitter. Everybody up at the line, everybody in press coverage, Sometimes he sends six or more. Sometimes he dropped on one of them, eight, eight people dropped into coverage and only three came. And it was throwing Casey Thompson off so bad. There was one where I thought Texas was going to take a timeout when he had the three down linemen. And then all of the defensive backs were like 10 yards off the ball on a third down when Texas was back near their goal line. And they waited till like two seconds, one second left on the clock to snap the ball because I don't think they had any idea what was about to happen haven't seen that on film this is just the stuff that he does out there is insane it gets it gets burned sometimes we saw the play with Jason Taylor but that one we can get into that one a little bit more but basically just back to Mills everything that he's doing so fun to watch the defense is so fun to watch I spent way more time re-watching the defense than I did the offense this oh, yeah. week because it was a blast Man, I mean, back back to that Orange Power podcast that you mentioned. I mean, Colby Harvell Peel called Jim Knowles an evil scientist or an evil genius or something like that because they'll have this this one play, and I wish we could find the sound bite. We could throw it on here, but he said uh, that they'll have this one play that will be – it's been ran the same way all season, and then one day he'll walk in and change it based on something he saw in film and you got to wonder what, it, what that was this week. And I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for some of those team meetings on the defensive side of the ball, because you know, 
there's some big brain stuff going on in that room because I mean, you think back the obvious series is, you know, late in the game, Texas, you know, gets nine yards on first down second and one bubble screen gets blown up third and one uh, loss for two yards, fourth and three gets blown up. And it's just like, again, what a, I, I don't even have the words for it because it's like, the ultimate trust factor in that side of the ball, you can, your offense can sputter. It, it can look like crap at times, but you know, you've got that. So again, there are not enough superlatives to, to, to throw on this defense, but I don't know. I just, I can't say enough and I can't, I honestly, you nailed it. Watching them right now, way more fun than watching the Oklahoma state offense. And that's oh. not even a knock on the offense. The defense is just that good. And they came out like we didn't think they were going to change anything. And they came out and didn't change anything. They played their safety shallow. They had their three down linemen. They have the Leo, Oliver, or Brock Martin up near the line. And they're playing a lot of man coverage and just daring Thompson to beat them deep. They also, what I thought was interesting, and back to that big play uh, that Jason Taylor got beat on, they're bracketing the slot receiver. So what that means is the linebacker to the slot receiver side will come over and kind of chuck bump legally as he can without getting a defensive holding and kind of knock that slot receiver off and that Jason, Jason Taylor spot covering down also cover him. And they try to just kind of stack up the middle. Cause we talked about it. Tom, Casey Thompson likes to throw over the middle. They didn't really let him have any of that. They didn't have any of the mesh routes, any of those curls, any of those hitches, and the reason why Taylor got beat on that one is actually a little bit on the linebacker. I think it was Devin Harper. Didn't get his hands on him at all. Taylor's expecting him to get yeah. bumped at least. And the guy just flew right by and he had a step on Taylor. I was actually surprised he caught back up to him. Well, and but, a fantastic throw too. I mean, right, right on the money. He, oh yeah. Credit to Thompson on that throw, but you could tell later in the game, his thumb was hurting him. They should have been able to go over the top more because Oklahoma state was daring them to. They were not letting them get anything over the middle. They have their safeties getting out over the hash marks. Didn't really want him to get anything outside. They were daring him to go over the middle deep, and he didn't want it. He didn't want to go deep, and I think he had a couple chances to hit some guys deep, and I don't know if it was the thumb, if it was the pressure Oklahoma State was getting, but late in the game, he needed to go deep, and he did not. Well, you know, look – Looking back on it, I would I would want to see the what the advanced analytics say on how often, and you may even have this, I don't know, but how often he was pressured on dropbacks because especially in the second half, it felt like every time he dropped back, there was somebody in his face. And so, you know, it could have been the thumb. I, to me, it looked like he was a little bit spooked. I don't think he's seen that many guys in his face, well, since the previous weekend, but regardless, he looked spooked to me. He didn't look like the same player he did in the first half. And, you know, maybe he got hit a couple times and that thumb starts bothering him, but I, I don't know. It, it just, he didn't look the same. No, you're right. Uh, PFF has it at 13 of his attempts. He was blitzed on. What's get you do? I think about 46% of his total throws. I counted it. So I was counting five or more. I counted 11. So I, I'm not sure. I tried to go back and see the two, but I don't know, like PFF's computers are probably smarter than me, but either way, about a 40, 46%, which that's Jim Knowles. He's up around 50, like every game. And I don't think they watched, they watched what OU did, like you said last week, and they decided to bring the pressure and they were bringing it from all different angles. Jim Knowles talked about 
one of the adjustments they made in the second half was kind of moving that Leo position around, which is where Colin Oliver and Brock Martin are. And they put them in different spots. I can put some pictures on Twitter, not just coming off the edge. They have them kind of behind the nose, in between that nose and the tackle, coming from different spots, moving them back into the linebacker spot and sending them from there. And those two dominated. Martin and Oliver had some games. I wanted to see what PFF had them graded. So Colin Oliver, they have him graded as the top defensive player from that game on Oklahoma State's team. Uh, Just a true freshman. Just a yeah, true I think, freshman. I think Martin's Martin was – I don't trust some of these PFF stats. Martin was a little bit lower, but he had, he had two QB hurries. Martin had the one in the sack. Israel Antwine and Brennan Evers, in the second half, they were feasting. The Texas offensive line started struggling. I don't know if they were getting tired. I know they were rotating a lot of different guys. I don't know if you noticed that. Texas was switching a lot yeah. of guys in on the offensive line because they've had some issues there. But it didn't work. <laughs> no, number 95, Israel Antoine. That guy is just a monster. And I know it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but he's blowing the guy backwards every single time and just mucking up the middle. And that's his job. He's not supposed to get a bunch of sacks. He's not supposed to get supposed to get a bunch of QB hurries. He's supposed to clog up the middle so nothing can come through there. And I I definitely don't think he he gets shouted out enough for that. So Israel, my boy, I'm shouting you out right now. <laughs> well, I mean, you you already mentioned Brock Martin too. It just looked like the defensive line was more anchored down than it was without him out there. I I again, I'm not sure I trust those PFF stats either because. Martin looks like he's all over the field. And I think Gundy said he's going to donate his body to science. I mean, he's, he's a freak. He just throws his body in there. And it's just like, I, I could never do that. There's no way I could do that. Well, and what does he have like a broken elbow or something? And he's just <laughs> out there smashing he's, dudes. He's rocking the Tyron Smith knee brace on the elbow. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. If I bang my elbow on my desk at work, I'm out for two to I'm three calling weeks. In, I'm calling in sick. Like, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, mean, I definitely can't type the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you with those spreadsheets, man. You, you yeah, got to be, exactly. those elbows got to yeah. be working. How am I, yeah. I going to write any macros with that going on? Yeah, no but, kidding. Yeah, to, to your point, these guys, the defensive line, they're so fun to watch. And they're not making a tackle every play like we just talked about. But these guys are so pumped every single play even if somebody else is making a tackle and something early on which I know we kind of we're kind of breaking down the defense in kind of a weird chronological order right now just going all over the place which I think (laughs) is my fault but it looked like early on because Texas was able to run the wall Bijan still had a good day I know we're giving a lot of props to the defense but it looked like some of the run fits from the second level they were having a little bit of trouble you can go back and look and there's times when Malcolm and Colby are kind of both outside the play. Bijan's cutting back in and the defensive line isn't able to get over there yet. Devin's not over there yet. And in the second half, I don't know if it was any adjustments or if they just kind of caught on because I have Texas at 23 of their carries either inside or outside zone. So they're able to fit better. Colby's getting in there. Malcolm's getting in there making plays. You saw him with the huge hits in the second half, one on Bijan, one on Casey Thompson. And I think, I think it was a really a similar story to the offense. It wasn't that they made that many more adjustments besides kind of moving that Leo around. They just grinded Texas's offense down with the pressure and with their defensive line play. And the second level guys are just able to make the tackles before Bijan can get more than a couple yards. I know I mentioned it to you before the podcast, but 
stats broadcast has the advanced stats for first down rushes for Texas for the game, 15 for 132 yards. So 8.8 yards per carry that's for the full game. But in the second half, after the first drive of the second half, here are their first down plays, two yard rush, two yard rush, incomplete pass, zero yard rush, nine yard rush interception. It's not that they made any kind of big adjustment that I saw. They just started winning first down, getting Casey Thompson in these longer second and third downs where he's having to throw the football. And I don't think he's that guy, especially not with the thumb. The thumb no, injury. it's, it's, it's so obvious too, because like you saw, and again, we were talking about how Casey Thompson wasn't the same guy. It's, it could be as simple as getting that Texas offense off schedule. They want to lean on Bijan Robinson. You know, I think Casey Thompson's great. I think he's a top three quarterback in the Big 12 right now. He looked the part for most of that game, didn't make a, you know, any backbreaking mistakes except for the pick six. But with being able to stuff the main focal point of that offense, especially in the second half, I think that put a lot of pressure on Thompson to do do some things that he's not great at. I think he's a game manager. I don't think he's going to just take the top off you with, with his legs. He's, he's not going to beat you that way. Um, they really rely on, as you said last week, running the play action and then hitting you over the top. If they can't do that, you know, that, that might be the trick to beating them is, is being able to take away that first down success. And it's, it was, you know, that first half, I kept saying it and kept saying it, that Oklahoma State was so behind the chains on offense and Texas was always ahead of the chains. It was, you know, second and one, third and one, every drive while Oklahoma state's looking at second and 14 on every drive. It felt like, but that flipped in the second half and you got to yeah. think it's because of the way they were able to defend Bijan Robinson. Yeah. It, it was awesome to see. And it's tough to hold a guy like Bijan to under a hundred yards. He's been going off on everybody. They run the ball so much. They have it down. It's kind of like what Oklahoma State does. They run that zone scheme. They throw a little bit of counter and other things at you power, but they're able to just kind of get it going. But Knowles and the defense stuck with it. They don't seem to ever really get discouraged or down on themselves on the sideline. And they just keep coming back and they just keep making little tweaks. I know we talked about it off the pod, but on the Jason Taylor interception, earlier in the game, Texas was down in the red zone. Oklahoma State was manned up. They were doing that slot bracket. And Texas was able to hit that slant route for a first down, got it on the goal line. I think they ended up scoring on third down on that drive after they reset the downs. They're on like the three. So they come back later in the game. They're in the red zone again. They have trips out to the right exactly like they did before. Oklahoma State looks like they might be in that similar off coverage man. But this time they drop into it. It looked like it may have been cover six, may have been in Tampa two. Look. Looked like cover two of some sort on that side of the field. They're running that slant route again. Almost looked like the exact same play, but this time Jim Knowles knew what it was. Jason Taylor said it when they talked to him after the game. He's playing that robber role. Bates Casey Thompson into throwing that ball, picks it off, takes it 85 yards. That's just a simple tweak, and that's just knowing the film, knowing your opponent, and that's what makes Jim Knowles and just overall this defense so great because Knowles saw it, but Jason Taylor executed it just a tiny tweak that completely threw Casey Thompson off his game. That's just uh, stuff like that is just awesome to me. It's just yeah. awesome to watch. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really is. And, and again, I, you can't say enough about him, but it appears 
that one, they're extremely well coached on the defensive side. Two, they love playing for that team. They love playing for that coach. And three, they love playing for each other. The, the energy on the defense is, is infectious. And you find yourself like excited for the defense to come back out on the field because you don't know what's coming next. Um, you just need the offense to maybe score a little bit and help out. But regardless, I, again, we can, we can heap praise on them. You know, I don't know if you have anything else before we wrap up on the defensive side of the ball, but it's going to take them. I mean, I'm telling you, it's going to take them far. I did want to give Stark and Texas a little credit for that first drive because they were moving Bijan all over the place. They had him at receiver. They pitched it to him on a jet sweep and they were using a ton of motion. And I don't know why they kind of went away from some of that. I know you can't do it the whole game, but I feel like their motion and stuff like that kind of gradually got less and less as the game went, but those scripted drives from Sark tore the defense apart. Oh, I'm telling you. worried at first. We kind of talked about it last week. Sark is a a good offensive mind. There's no doubt about it. One of the best. And um, it, it kind of gave me Lincoln Riley vibes where you're, you just really have to weather that first quarter storm that's coming because they've probably scripted something up that you're not ready for. Um, and that's just the mark of a good offensive coach. You've now got two, maybe three in this conference that, you know, you can almost guarantee that they're going to have something for you, you know, in that first quarter, you just got to be able to weather the storm and, and Oklahoma state barely did. Um, but you know, yeah, you nailed it credit to them. And I, you know, I, I said it last week, they've got an interesting vibe to them. I know they're four and three at this point, but didn't feel like the same Texas, you know, program team that we've been seeing for the last, you know, decade. I, I don't get that vibe from them. I just, I'm thankful to get out of there with the win and it'll be six and oh, it, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, no, and, and a challenge awaits for them. Absolutely. Is there anything else you had on, on that game? We can no, you know, talk a little bit about it. Iowa State and, you know, just a, a quick breakdown of, of what you see as, as a huge key in that game. We've ta- already talked about some of the similarities between Texas and Iowa State, but, you know, what are some of the differences? You, you even told me today, and I'm going to out you, you said you're more concerned about this game than you were against Texas. So maybe let's talk about that. Yeah, I think my main point on that is kind of from the defensive side. I'll kind of touch on their offense first, but it's just an experienced team. I wrote about them last year on pistols firing. They're, they're going to have three tight ends out there sometimes. That's what they do. They've got Kolar. They've got Chase Allen. And they used to have Dalton Siner, who I think uh, Jared Russ, number 43, has kind of been filling in for him. Not as talented. They actually really miss Siner. He was, he was a solid player. But Allen and Kohler, they like to throw it to these guys. I think they're both in the top five or six in receptions on the team, or at least in yardage. Their, their offense, they don't really have a true, I don't think, identity, kind of multiple, a lot of pre-snap eye candy, a lot of motion. They do what, what you've seen Oklahoma State do where they kind of move their cowboy back and running back before the snap. They do that, but with their tight ends, they'll move them all around. They'll split them out wide in the slot. And then they've got Brock Purdy, very experienced quarterback. He's got a good arm. He can move a little bit. And then my guy, Brees Hall, back there. Not not the same type of runner as Robinson from Texas, but he's got some moves and he's patient, extremely patient, as you just said. They run a lot of zone runs like, like Oklahoma State does, like most teams in the Big 12 do. And he's fine sitting back there all day until the cutback lane opens. And sometimes he won't even cut back. He'll just keep flowing with the line and just wait for them to get upfield, get vertical. And that's what they like to do. 
it's the same stuff you've been seeing from him. It's really not anything different. They've got uh, Tom Manning, longtime assistant of Campbell, came with him all the way back to Mount Union days. That's what they like to do. They try to they try to st- stress the defense in terms of alignment by moving those tight ends all around, and they mainly go zone at you. They'll throw some gap in. They don't really run it with Purdy. And then something I noticed, I didn't want to, I didn't want to call out one stat. So they've only hit on, I believe it's three balls, 20 plus yards down the field outside of the Kansas game in big Mm. 12 play. So that's only two games. It's K-State and Baylor, but Purdy, when they go vertical, he's trying to check it down to Brees. Yeah. Brees has like 20 catches or something this year, something ridiculous. He's one of their main receivers. And they like to send, they like to go four verts and just throw it down to Brees five or six yards from the line of scrimmage and let him work in space. Per, I don't know if it's because Purdy is scared to throw it downfield. He's getting protection. He's got the arm, but they just do not like to go deep. And it, it could have to do with some of their receivers, Hutchinson, Milton, these guys. I, Hutchinson's a solid player, but I just don't know who's getting open downfield. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like to me. But, you know, I even think back to – before Purdy and Brees Hall, they were doing that. They were doing that run down the field and, and dump it off, especially in that long grass in Ames. Like how, how many years have we seen that play, you know, where it should be wrapped up for three yards, go for 40. Um, and, and they're going to do it again. I can guarantee you, but you know, I, I think you're spot on. The thing about Iowa State that that I always look at is much like Spencer Sanders, which Brock Purdy are you going to get? They call it Brocktober. Um, and I don't know if that's oh, man, a good or a bad so thing. Much. Is it a good or bad thing? Uh, in, in Oklahoma, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, Brocktober is like an invitation to come take a pick. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it's it's not the same for everybody else. And, and my brother and I were actually talking about this. We were watching the uh, Texas-Oklahoma State game in Denver. It, it seems like Oklahoma State, you know, even though the advanced analytics don't love o- Oklahoma State in this matchup, it's almost like they're built to beat a team that plays like Iowa State. Does it not? It does to me. Yeah. I don't know. See, I was a little worried about Texas going up by a lot. And 17 to 3 is a good amount. But if they would have scored on that drive where Taylor uh, took it to the house, that could have been bad. Yeah. Because, because we talked about, you know, Spencer's not throwing it downfield. They probably would, they would have had to, but – I'm not sure Oklahoma State, we haven't had to see it yet. They can catch up when someone gets a big lead on them. Like like a team in the Big 12 that I think could do that to them is probably OU. I don't think Iowa State can do that. I no. don't think they can get up big on them like that. I think it may be another dogfight when we get to our predictions. You'll see mine. But I don't think Iowa State has the firepower on offense. Just kind of from what I told you, unless they start going deep a bunch, Oklahoma State is going to come out, and I think what they're going to do is do what they've done in the past several years. They're going to bracket the slot, like what we talked about against Texas, but Iowa State's slot is their tight ends. They don't want the ball to go to them. You've got to be great on the outside if you do that, and you've got to be great d- deep down the field. And Oklahoma State's shown they can be pretty good on, outside the hashes and deep down the field when they're, bracket, they're, they're bracketing the slot. So to your point, I am worried about this game from an experience standpoint from their defensive side. I'm not, I'm not that worried about Iowa State's offense scoring a bunch of points on this defense. Yeah. I just, yeah, that would shock me, and I could be completely wrong, but that would shock me. Like I said, they, they've got guys like Hutchinson who reminds me of a Keenan Allen type. I wanted to throw yeah. that comp at you. Whew. He just, I like that. That's a great similar, comp. similar size, and they just catch a lot of balls. I think, 
think Keelan Allen was like, has been first or second in the year, a couple of years in a row with reception total. And that's what Hutchinson is. He's a 6'3", 210 bounder. He's got speed. He's got athleticism, but he's just your third down Marcel Aitman type that you throw it to. And then Brees Hall reminds me of a, I was going to throw this other comp at you, like a Najee Harris type to keep it a little <laughs> closer with that. Not yeah. super duper powerful, but like good size, great elusiveness and patience. So they've got guys like this. I just I, don't I, think they've got enough. I, I love the Najee Harris. I've always, um, I've always seen a little bit of Le'Veon Bell in Brees mm. Hall, just the way he can kind of plod around the back of the offensive line. It's unlike really like that. most running backs I, I can recall who it's almost like they can stand there and wait for the hole to open up and hit it. It's a very unique skill set, especially in the Big 12 where we're used to, you know, some burners at, at the tailback spot, Zach Evans specifically, you know, Bijan even comes to mind. But, you know, you, you kind of nailed it. I, I don't think that Iowa State is a team that's going to blow your doors off offensively. They look like they found something. I'll definitely give credit where credit is due. They look like they found something, but they've also, you know, played some really bad teams lately, namely Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech. They've really beat up on the bottom of the Big 12 at the current moment. And so how much do we really know about them? I think if Oklahoma State opened up with that schedule, it might look pretty similar. Um, you know, the, the one common, the two common opponents are Kansas State and Baylor, both teams handed K-State, no problem. Oklahoma State beat Baylor pretty handily, and uh, Baylor escaped with the win against Iowa State. Um, so I will be very interested to see, you know, I, I think the key to this game, much like the key to every game Oklahoma State's going to play this season, is not how Spencer Sanders plays, but if they're able to find success running the football. I think Spencer at this point, you know, for, you know, barring an unforeseen you know explosion of three picks it feels like he's taking that step and I really do believe if if Oklahoma State can find a diverse running attack between Jalen Warren gets get some good carries from Dominic Richardson and then mix in some untimely quarterback draw where the defense isn't expecting it. you got to get ahead of the chains to run that but maybe where they're not expecting it, you can potentially see an avenue, especially as, as they like to play that deep, you know, three quarter, as you, as you mentioned earlier, there might be some lanes there. No, I completely agree. I think Oklahoma state, they fared pretty well running the football. I know Chuba had a pretty big day. Oh yeah. Against Iowa state. Yeah. Chuba Chuba's the mayor of Ames. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> recently appointed yeah but the, really the the running scheme that you want to do against Iowa State what they're trying to do with their three down linemen which you talked about their three three five that they run they're clogging up the middle with those defensive linemen and they want to spill the ball outside and their second and third level players are crashing on the football so kind of like what you see from Colby Harville Peel Malcolm Rodriguez flying at the football that's what they want to do so you're mm -hmm. thinking okay, if we run outside zone, how is that going to work? But what you want to do is some misdirection with Iowa State, and that's what Oklahoma State's been able to do. They've been able to send motion, the jet sweep motion, send receivers in motion, send that cowboy back across in the split zone, and that's what gets Iowa State's second and third level guys moving the wrong way, and then you can beat them. And that's what Oklahoma State's done well. And the other thing they're going to give you, they're going to drop eight into coverage a lot, and they're going to give you those underneath throws that's what's fit. That's where Sanders wants to throw it. Mm. He wants to I throw it, it outside. The hash is short. He wants to throw short stuff over the middle. He wants to throw those wide receiver screens. 
the reason why I'm not as worried when we talked off the podcast, the reason why I'm, I guess I'm not super worried, even though Iowa State's defense is great, is Sanders has seen this. This will be his third time. It's still John Heacock, their defensive coordinator. It's still Matt Campbell. Yeah. They're not doing that much different stuff. I know Gundy talked about it on his podcast. They're running a little bit more three deep, four deep type stuff than they were running kind of that cover two robber that they run in the past. But it's still the same three deep safeties. And they're going to attack you with those front guys and then bring everybody else from the second and third level. And I think Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy know what to do against this defense. So I expect Jalen Warren to have another solid game. I think he's going to be, I think we're going to be able to run the football on him again. Mm, I like it. Well, let's get to prediction time. What do you think? How do you see this one going? I think that we get out early and get some pressure on Purdy. I don't know if I told you this stat yet, but three of his four picks have come when he's been blitzed. <laughs> he doesn't like pressure. Well, we and know Jim that he's back foot. It. He's back foot Brock. People call him Brocktober. <laughs> I call him back foot Brock. They're going to bring the pressure. I still think it's a close one though. I just don't think Oklahoma state's going to change very much on offense. I can't see them going Spencer drop back, throw it all over the place, try to get some big shots downfield. I think it's going to be the zone game. I think it's going to be Jalen Warren mixing in the wide receiver screens hit some underneath stuff and then trying to go deep with play action. I have 24, 21 Oklahoma state, but I, I think it's going to be a fight. I think it's going to be a yeah. close, I think it's gonna be close the whole time. I don't think it's where either team gets out on a big lead. Like Texas did. I think it's close the whole time. Yeah. I, I see it going a very similar way. And our, our, our score predictions are, are almost the exact same. I, I don't see a way that Oklahoma state runs away from you know, Iowa State, unless, unless there's another pick six, a special teams touchdown. Um, I, I just don't see that. I, again, I talk about the, you know, is the running attack going to be enough for Oklahoma State? We'll see. But there's a piece of me that's seen enough of Brock Purdy that I'm like, I think I trust Spencer Sanders to play well against Iowa State more than I trust Brock Purdy to play well against Oklahoma State. This is the third time these quarterbacks are going to have played against each other. And Spencer Sanders has gotten the better of Brock Purdy twice. Brock Purdy, the only time he's beaten Oklahoma State was his first year when he came in, you know, in mop-up duty. And that feels like an eternity ago. He hasn't had success against Oklahoma State. And part of me thinks he's seen, you know, Jim Knowles in his dreams. Um, you have to wonder, I mean, they're 15 and two in October. And the two losses are against Oklahoma State. So, yeah, again, I, I've said this. It feels like Oklahoma State is a team designed to defend this team well and beat this team offensively. Um, it's going to be a slugfest. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be the team that makes the least amount of mistakes. Uh, it's not rocket science. And that's why I'm going to take Oklahoma State to win 27 to 21. I don't I like get that. the ghosts like I used to in Ames. I think they've exercised those demons. Gundy even talked about it a little bit. They don't really talk about it. That it's not relevant to these kids, what happened in 2011. Um, but what is relevant is the fact that they're 6-0. and You go up to Ames, you win there, it's all out in front of you. I mean, we could have a really different conversation next week, Dustin, that may, may be less about X's and O's and more about, holy crap, we're – I mean, we're staring down the barrel here. I mean, the schedule opens up after this. So they've got a huge opportunity, but you can't go beat KU in West Virginia and TCU if you don't go win this one. Yeah, I completely agree. Like you said, 
limit the mistakes. I think Iowa State brings some pressure early. They're going to bring my guy McDonald, number nine. I'd keep an eye on him for Iowa State. He's a solid player on their defensive line. They're going to get after Spencer early. I would be shocked if they didn't. I know I said they didn't pressure him last year, but after watching – It would be a mistake. It would be a mistake. After watching with – yeah, it rattles him early. You can tell. And if the offensive line can protect, if Spencer can stay calm, maybe instead of rolling out sometimes just step up in the pocket and fire one – keep his feet set, fend it off. I think we wear him down just like we did Texas. But, like, I'm talking like we're going to blow him out. I think he's going to be a close game either way. I think Brock Martin, my guy, crushed Iowa State last year. I think he has another big game. So, I think that's – I think it's going to be another fun one. And I think after the game, fans are going to be mad that the offense was boring again, but we're going to come out with another victory. (laughs) I love it. Well, it's, it's good stuff, man. Um, well, Dustin, I think we were going to talk a little bit too um, about maybe some hoops. This is not oh, yeah. just a, a football podcast. I know it, it's a feels like 45 podcast, but for me and you, you know, I don't know if there's a section 345 in Gallagher. I don't think there is, but we could have <laughs> just said that's what this is as well. feels like 318. You can find yes. me there in, in, uh, in November through March. But, dude, we're like a couple of weeks away from yeah, so Cowboy basketball. What'd you think about the AP poll? What what we'd be 31st, I think, with the votes on that? It, it feels about right uh, to me. I think there's a lot of good teams this year, actually. I, I think the Big 12 is, is <laughs> shockingly really, really damn good. Um, yeah. So that's not stunning to me. But what I... I'm going to be curious to see again, you know, not, not talking necessarily the depth of the big 12. I like where Oklahoma state's at at 31 gives them a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think they're more talented than the 31st best team in the, in the country. I truly believe that. And I think they're well coached. So I think if you ask me today, do they end over or under 31? I I've taken the over all day. I think they're a top 20 team. I think so too. And even with how Avery Anderson played at the end of the season, I think he is getting a little bit slept on right now. He wasn't on any yeah. of the preseason award lists, right? He was like an honorable mention. Yeah, it's disrespectful. And again, I think a lot of that is a credit to the talent in the Big 12. I mean, Remy Martin coming in from Arizona State at Kansas. I mean, he's he's Big 12 preseason player of the year. He was a, you know, three-year, you know, uh, all Pac-12 kind of player. He's going to be a stud. Guys like that just walk into the conference and all of a sudden it bumps a guy like Avery Anderson down. I think Avery will will silence a lot of people and start making a lot of people talk that weren't already talking about him. I mean, you, you could talk about Cade Cunningham all you want. He was unbelievable, of course. There were games that if Avery Anderson wasn't out there, they're not winning that game. You know, yeah. and, and I even think back to that Liberty game that they needed him. I think so too. It, to me, it comes down to can they get some production shooting from the outside? Yeah. It, it's a question. It looks like they're, it looks like they're gonna have some solid guys big down uh, down low with Caleb Boone. I know, I think he's nursing a little bit of an injury right now, yeah, but I is. think he should be good to go. Um, Musa Cisse from Memphis transfer. He, sh- I mean, he's on the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar watch list. I just saw earlier. My heart so, flutters when I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's solid. It's just can they get the production from the outside? Because I, you know, Mike Boynton's teams are going to be good on defense. It's real. I think it just comes down to three point shooting here because I think they're going to be stacked everywhere else. There's no doubt about it. I'm. Uh, you already said it about Musa Cisse. 
impact transfers are going to be a storyline this year. You got Bryce Thompson, obviously. You got Musa Cisse, two five-stars, two former five-star McDonald's All-American type players. You know, really like blue chip, once-in-a-generation type of players. You got two of them. And then you go down, Tyreek Smith, big-time contributor at Texas Tech. And then Woody Newton, who's a bit of an unknown, but I've heard some great things out of, you know, out of practice. So I can't wait to see how these pieces come together. It's the deepest roster that Oklahoma State basketball has had. Oh, yeah. Really, since I think Eddie Sutton was was traversing the uh, sidelines back in, you know, 2005. So we'll, we'll see. I, I can't wait. And, uh, you know, I, I told you this, Dustin, I'm a first-time season ticket holder for Cowboy basketball. Woo! So, um, and – I, it was a no-brainer for me. I can't wait to see a full GIA. You and I went several times last year, you know, to yeah, 25% capacity. That's, that's right. Absolutely. I'm going to need you myself, there. but I'm here. I'm on the podcast. <laughs> that's right. Well, maybe we can get a feels like 45 flag and wave it around, sneak that in, see, see how people like that for some free, Live some free pub. Live podcast game. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> disregard the background noise we're actually standing out front of coney island in in the mezzanine but yeah i like Page that drunk, idea but yeah <laughs> oh, i can't wait you, you know we can uh, we can talk in a little bit high level i mean where do you see the season going where do you see oklahoma state ending up i mean you know just off the cuff i could see top 20 like you said and near the top half of the big 12 i know it's going to be packed like you said there's so much talent in the big 12 but i think they're going to be good i think they're going to be better than last year is that a hot take no because i feel the same way i mean I, I genuinely think they're deeper they're they're more experienced you could make the argument they're more talented hard to believe that when you lose the number one overall pick but i mean i'm with no you shot to kate no shot at kate at all awesome no i, I got my a tattoo player of right now i got a yeah. tattoo of him I'm, I'm showing it to you right now dustin you can see it's right here on my leg no i i uh i think they are they're again they're deeper they're just deeper they're gonna have more contributors i'm excited to see what a matthew alexander moncrief does in in the right you know uh position on the floor i think at times he was not exactly where his natural for him but um i'm pumped like i, I can't wait Oh, I mean, that's my boy. They're so deep. You forget about some of these guys. I mean, Rondell, Chris Harris. I mean, th there are guys that legitimately would start elsewhere that like, it's going to be a, a battle for minutes. Yeah. I don't so, even know again, what minutes they're going to get. Yeah. And I, we, we can, you know, we can get to 12 and 0 in football and then pivot to basketball, but I'm <laughs> pumped that we we've got this again and we're going to talk about it. So yeah, obviously stay tuned. You know, if you're a listener, uh, feels like 45, not just a football podcast. We'll, we'll do this in seasons. Um, you know, season one of the pod is, is football. We're going to transition to maybe talk some softball. Ooh, yeah. Got a softball I, shirt on. <laughs> that's right. I mean, especially the way that that went last year. I mean, you, you may catch us at a softball game. Who knows? Um, I know it's fantastic. Dustin, um, before we go, I think we've got several, like several questions that need to be answered that were sent into us um, through our hosting platform, Anchor. If you don't know, go check us out on Twitter at FeelsLike45Pod. You can actually send us a voice message. And so these are you know questions that have been submitted to us over the last week. And Dustin, I'll go ahead and play them for you. This is from one of my buddies, Jake Meyer. I think you, you've met him. Um, yeah. And he's, he's Thanks, got quite, yeah, he's got quite an interesting one here. So let's take a listen. Love the podcast. Glad you're back recording. The podcast world has missed you. And so has the Oklahoma State media world. 
probably the most important topic you're going to cover on this podcast is this question. You've got to pick two of these to save, and one of them's got to go away forever. So which one is it? Number one, Eskimo Joe's. Number two, Hideaway. And number three, Coney Island. Thanks. Looking forward to hearing your answers, and go Pokes. Thanks, Jake. Good to hear from you, brother. It's a great question. It's an easy one for me. So I'll let you go so I'm not swayed. Okay, so I'm going to keep Coney Island for sure because I'm assuming all Coney Islands everywhere would have to go away. I love the one in the stadium, and I love their new bar area, backside, back porch type No, I need to go check that out. I need to go check it out. And they've got the little concert area off to the side. Saw a guy playing there last game I was at, and they've got the rooftop. So Coney Island, not only is it in the stadium, but they've got the cool bar set up. So I've got to keep Coney Island. And then it was Eskimo Joe's and what else? Hideaway. I, I you I don't feel strike. like I got. <laughs> Go I feel like I got to keep Eskimo. I, I got to keep Eskimo Joe's. I d- yeah. You it's can't maintain like your physique eating Hideaway pizza, like <laughs> <laughs> ladies. But <laughs> I, I just can't get rid of Eskimo Joe's. It's too much of a Stillwater staple. It's like what everybody knows. It's not like I go there a lot. Actually, last time I went there was with you. But oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't get rid of it. I do love Hideaway. There's a Hideaway right by my house in Oklahoma City. I feel like I'm sliding Hideaway. I feel like I'm like hurting their feelings right now. I know they don't care, but I feel bad about saying Hideaway. <laughs> that's what. Well, they'll never sponsor the podcast, so you can guarantee <laughs> that based on what you just said. Um, so yours is easy. I want to hear it. Yeah. It. <laughs> It's it's definitely Coney Island for me. I, I and I, okay. I say that because you know I'm not the biggest like you know chili dog guy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not just walking around like you know it sounds good a chili dog. Um, that being said, I know I can get one at the at the Curdy stand either in the stadium mm. or across the street. And so if I really got a hankering, I know I've got that. And I don't want to live in a world obviously without Eskimo Joe's. Or hideaway pizza. I mean, and and I'm talking the OG hideaway in Stillwater, not the ones out here in Edmond. Right. But in Stillwater, the sausage pizza, the hamburger pizza, I don't want to live in a world without it. And I can live in a world without chili cheese dogs. So that's my answer. Maybe you can take me to Coney. I haven't seen the new bar. It looks fantastic, but I haven't seen it. It is. And you're you're kind of the way you analyze that with the Curdies. Now I feel like a dumb dumb. So great, great analysis there. You, if there were points on this one, you win. If we were doing like an around the horn type thing, you win. You get the points. Oh, yeah, like at, at midnight points. <laughs> no, it's it's. I don't know if it's right, but I mean, I'm just gunning for sponsorships at this point. So, no, Curdy, at me, baby. We need you. I love it. Okay. I love it. We'll get to another one here from, from Randall Dryden. Take a listen. That Randall, Randall's one of my buddies from LSU. So thanks, Randall. I thought you okay. That that makes sense. All right, here's Randall. Hey guys, uh, love what you're doing on the show. Keep it up. I uh, just had uh, one one quick question. Uh, knowing what we know about the Big Twelve and offenses and defense, do you think the level at which we're playing with is sustainable? Meaning, do you guys think that we can actually win the Big Twelve playing great defense and getting by on offense? Keep it up and go pokes. Thank you, Randall. Thanks, Randall. This is a this is a, a great question. And I think it's it's a 
it's a talking point as we go forward. Um, you know, I'll go first, Dustin. I, I struggled with this one because, you know, the, my gut says no, but then you look around the big 12 and you're like, who besides OU is the team that's going to bite you definitely the way you're playing now. And you already heard what I think about Iowa state. I don't, I don't know. So my, my answer to your question is yes, I do believe they can win the big 12 the way they play now, because that's the way the big 12 is. Um, it just looks way different than we're used to. So uh, Dustin, I don't, I don't know where you're at on that, but. No, we touched on it earlier and I, I agree with you completely. And thanks again, Randall, for the question. I think this style of play gets you to the big 12 championship. I'm not scared of anybody playing, playing the way they do right now. And by that, I mean, you know, sticking with the zone scheme, kind of relying on the running game to open everything else up and then letting the defense and Jim Knowles just kind of go wild on people. Iowa State, I'm not really worried about. Tech, not really worried about. Obviously, KU, not really worried about with that style of play. West Virginia, not really worried about. It really comes down to who you mentioned, who I hate talking about, who we try not to talk about on the podcast yeah. unless we have to. OU, just because of the firepower on offense, especially how they're looking with Caleb Williams now. Yeah, That's the only team I'm scared of in conference. Now, if you're talking like college football, playoff stuff like that, we might yeah. have to do some things differently, but for this yeah. to answer Randall's question, I do think, yes, I think we can keep it up. And I know it's not fun to watch. I promise you, I do not have a ton of fun rewatching the offense every week. Like I said, I have more fun watching the defense, but they know what they can do. And Gundy's talked about it. If you get, if you get a style of play that the offensive line can block, just and block it. Well, let them keep doing that. They don't have to think a bunch. And guys like Silas Godlewski and Woodard, like you said, when he's on, they're bowling through people and Warren's able to find some lanes. So I, I think they, I think we can keep it up. I think we can keep this style of play up if we want to, even though we may fall asleep. <laughs> no. Yeah. The big question is how do you beat OU that way? The way it looks right now, Caleb Williams, it looks like he's changed that team, changed the potential of that program, even in the, in the near term. Um, but we, we don't talk about them on this podcast until it's bedlam. So um, <laughs> thank you, Randall, for the uh, question, man. Appreciate it. Um, here is one from Billy. If the offense is able to get some of their guys back, for example, Braden Johnson, how much do you think that will help? their productivity. Thank you, Billy. Appreciate the question, man. Um, you know, in regards to Raiden Johnson, I, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that he's, he's not returning this season, at least from everything that's been out there. I don't think that's a, a secret I'm breaking. I wouldn't expect Braden Johnson back. Um, we did mention Jaden Bray, especially as the, the conversation with, you know, him and Rashad Owens, Owens has made a couple mistakes, you know, I don't know how much Jaden Bray out there changes the offense, but right now they're as healthy as I think I can remember them at this point in the season in a in a long time. So I think what you're seeing is a lot of what you're getting. So, yeah. And to Billy's question, thanks Billy for the question. If, if you take Braden Johnson out of the equation, I think he, you know, he's just saying full strength. And like you said, we're pretty close. And to give a little insight on those guys, from what I've heard, Bray's really close. Um, he's been working out. He may be a week or two away before he's back. I believe it's a foot thing, leg. Mm. And then Des Jackson was dressed at UT. Mm. Um, he's just taking a little bit longer. I, I just don't think they're trying to rush some of these guys back that, you know, aren't super seniors. This isn't their last year. I think they're trying to wait until they're fully healthy for that late season push. 
especially, you know, after Iowa State, like we talked about, you've got KU, you've got some of the weaker part of the schedule. Why rush these guys back when you could, you know, if they're not healthy for Iowa State, you could keep them for OU, TCU later on the season and even the Big 12 championships. So I would expect those guys back. I do think it'll help having Bray out there. I do think it'll help having Des Jackson back because he brings something that I think Dom and Jalen don't have. They're all kind of different. So to answer your question, I do think it'll help, but I think, like you said, we're pretty full strength or as full as we can get. Yeah, Billy, appreciate the question, brother. Um, last, I think we've got a question from what some are calling the godfather of the Feels Like 45 <laughs> podcast. I heard that thrown Don't around. It was, it was weird. Like somebody said that to me. I was like, Fuller, really? <laughs> so anyway, here, here's a question from, from our buddy Alex Fuller. Cade Webb, Dustin Ragusa, this is Alex Fuller here. First, I want to apologize to the entire Oklahoma State fan base as I will not be in Ames this weekend. I was in Boise, somehow got a Miracle W there. I was down in Austin, somehow pulled out a win there at that game, but I can't make it to Ames. So if this team loses Iowa State, you come after me. You criticize me. Don't blame the kids. Don't put it on the coaches. This is on me, and I apologize, but I can accept it. Second question. I know you guys want questions. Question. If you were Casey Dunn, I'm sure there's some fans who wish Dustin was Casey Dunn, but he's not. So if you were, how would you get Sanders comfortable in the beginning of the game versus Iowa State? Thank you. Sincerely, respectfully, truly, thank you for your time and your service. Thanks. Bye. It took it took a couple turns there, like in the middle. Yeah. It was like, wait, we're still. He hadn't even asked a question yet. We're giving him props, then we're supposed to be blaming him. Yeah, then some people are calling him the Godfather, and it's like that's a lot of praise for for a question like that. We do, Fuller and I do think we we brought that win in Boise State. Us, being well, I, I can definitely you know agree with that. You know, <laughs> Fuller, I'm sorry, I don't even remember your question. No. Uh, if it were me, um, and and thank you for the question, and sorry for the the technical difficulties there. We're st- we're still ironing all this out. Maybe we'll get it figured out by uh, basketball season. Basketball, but we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, but you know, to answer your question, I we I talked a little bit about the importance of you know getting him involved in the running game. Seems to be where he's comfortable. You know, a couple of designed quarterback draws at a, at a time that you know maybe you're ahead of the chains may get him going well. But what he's shown an ability to, and I it happened multiple times in Austin was, you know, kind of that naked bootleg. They seem to really like that play design with him. They like moving him out of the pocket where he can either throw it or take off and run. And, and it makes a lot of sense when you factor in his skill set. So, you know, one, a combination of those uh, makes a lot of sense, especially as you've seen the, the, you know, possibility of, of a high likelihood of success with those two play designs. So. Yeah, I really like the play you're talking about. They've kind of been setting that up all year. It's the split zone look. Cassidy's actually coming across the formation and faking a block on that end. Yeah. And then going out to the flat and Spencer's rolling out. So I love that play. I I think we'll see it more because I think, I don't think defenses can really key on it when we run split zone so much, but I think that's one great way. It worked really well twice in Austin. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I love that play. I think water's, super screens, just getting some completions. It's kind of like a basketball player making a free throw to kind of get them going, hit a wide receiver screen just to kind of get him going a little bit. And what we talked about earlier, Iowa State's going to leave some stuff open underneath. 
if you can hit some of those quick hitches and he can get the ball out there, some of those out routes, you know, four or five yard gains, maybe it's not getting you the first down, but just get his completion percentage going, get him feeling comfortable, setting his feet, making these quick throws. And then he's able to kind of stand in the pocket, I think, and deliver some downfield later in the game. So I think that's how you kind of build his confidence. What you said, get him going in the run game, roll him out and maybe start him off with some quick action. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Whatever it is, I think it's, it's quick developing or it's something familiar that we've seen him do a, a good job of. So I'm excited to see what they do. Again, both of, both of us predicting an Oklahoma State win. I promise we're not typically this positive, but um, like the matchup, like the matchup a lot. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, Dustin, we're talking about a, a 7-0 and Oklahoma State team. And I'm telling you, at that point, we're going to have to – I'm going to need to see my primary care provider for, for maybe a little <laughs> bit of blood pressure medication because the schedule looks a little bit different when you get past this game. So Dip into the HSA fund for that. That's, that's right, baby. That's right. All right. Well, Dustin, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, just thanks for everybody sending in voicemails and questions on that's Twitter. Fantastic. I know we got some on Twitter we weren't able to get to, but – I know we're running a little long. We'll try to get to some of them. Keep sending them again, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Yeah, no doubt. Well, as always, this is the Feels Like 45 podcast with Cade Webb and Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, where can they follow you on Twitter? At DustRagu, that's D-U-S-T-R-A-G-U. You can follow me at Cade Webb, C-A-D-E-W-E-B-B. And follow us on Twitter at Feels Like 45 Pod. And be sure to leave us a five star review. Subscribe to us on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're coming to Stitcher. We're coming to Pocket Cast, all this other whatever you guys are listening to, <laughs> stuff I never heard of, but we're coming. We're coming. Audio book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and print edition. We're actually going to put out a, a print pod. Um, but no, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Go, Pokes.